For the first time in 14 years, the Seattle Seahawks have a new coach. Today, they announced the hiring of former Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, officially beginning a new era for the franchise. Mike and I are going in on the news and what it means moving forward. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my ebullient producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We are feeling insufferable, Jackson. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great, buddy. Oh, my goodness. We got the news we were waiting for. We sure did. We sure did. The Seahawks have a new head coach, and he is a Mike. He is a certified Mike, and you are in shambles. <laughs> Boy, that was a crucial addition to Team Mike. You needed it, because Team Jackson been whipping your ass all season. See, that's, again, you and your propaganda, buddy. We had two Mikes and two Jacksons. One of the Mikes just happened to be named Jackson on his surname side, but... Yeah. It's okay. You know, we've got the, I think we've got yeah, the but, advantage now in the power structure. So yeah, you're watched, dude. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, look, man, I cannot wait to talk about this hire with you. But first, for those listening, if you are doing that or you're watching us right now, it's hopefully because you like the show. And if you like the show, there are a few ways you can support it. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, take a couple of seconds to leave us a five-star rating. And if you're feeling super supportive, a quick review as well. You can do that right now. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where you'll find full video episodes, entertaining clips, and the audio reads of every Cigar Thoughts article. This is probably the best way to help the show grow, and growth is going to enable us to bring more of our football discourse your way. So we're grateful for the few seconds it takes to like and subscribe. Now, Mike, talk to me about the new head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Everyone knows the name by now. They know where he came from. Defensive coordinator, the Ravens, absolutely smashed this year, shutting down the top offenses in the NFL. But he didn't get here overnight, did he? He did not. He did not. He uh, is a disciple of John Harbaugh for sure, but he took a long and winding road to Mm -hmm. get there. Uh, He started out at the University of Georgia as a a graduate assistant. He was there for a few years, got kind of tired of the politics of college football, and then ended up at uh, an internship at the Ravens and then kind of ascended as a coaching assistant. He coached the DBs there. He coached the linebackers there in uh, 2018. I think it was at the end of Dean Pease's uh, tenure as DC. Uh, He actually interviewed for the defensive coordinator position, which was ultimately uh, awarded to Wink Martindale. And so uh, Mike McDonald stuck around for a couple of years. And then there were some uh, machinations in college football that shook things up. So uh, Jim Harbaugh, John's brother, uh, coach of Michigan, was having trouble uh, with his defense. He could not get over the hump. He could not beat Ohio State. There were some issues. There was some noise. The seat was getting a little warmer bit by bit. So he called his brother John and said, hey, John, what do you got for me? And John talked up two specific assistants in the Ravens organization who were Mike McDonald and Jesse Minter who is now uh, the defensive coordinator on the Chargers with, uh, with Jim. 
so Mike McDonald heads over to Michigan and he takes over and they see a massive jump in performance. And then John says, actually, just kidding. Get back here. I want you <laughs> as my defensive coordinator. And uh, so he makes the trek back. And then Jesse Minter heads over there and he's the defensive coordinator at Michigan for the next couple of seasons. And uh, the Harbaugh's just just swapping back and forth. Man. That's right. That's right. It's it was like he was he was on loan. Sure. Yeah, yeah, he was on loan to Michigan. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is like, when he went to Michigan, that defense was nothing like the Michigan defense we've gotten used to over the last few years. They were like a hundred and something in points per game allowed when he showed up and they jumped to like 17th, something they were like that actually, the following year. 2020, Michigan uh, was giving up 34 and a half points per game, which was oh. 95th in the country. And in 2021, in Mike McDonald's first year there, it jumped uh, down to 17.4, which was eighth in the country. And I want to say there was uh, John Harbaugh was talking about how uh, Mike only had like two weeks to put together the skeleton of a defense when he arrived at Michigan. It was kind of like a haphazard thing, and it clearly worked out for him that season. Yeah, I mean, it certainly did. And then he comes to Baltimore, and Baltimore had a down year by their standards defensively. I think they were like 18th in points per game the year prior, and he came in. They jumped up to third, and they have basically stayed there. Yep. And this is a guy who really built his defense from this one little cornerstone when he was originally with the Ravens. What John Harbaugh tasked him with is figure out third down pressure. That is your focus. You're going to figure out how to do third down pressure. The way the story goes, he would show up to those coaches meetings, be like, Hey, here's what I think they are going to do on third and medium, third and short, third and long, depending where they're at in the field, where they are in the game. He's like, not only is this what we can do. Here's what I think they're going to do in these situations. And he was just calling it. So it's not only he had the scheme. That's one thing, you know, to be able to build out a game plan is a skill unto itself, but to anticipate what the opponent's going to do and adapt the game plan for that, that takes coaches a long time. It took him no time at all. And now here he is the youngest head coach in the NFL. We just went from the oldest head coach in the NFL in Seattle to the youngest half of Pete Carroll's age. It's crazy. And and going back to what you were saying about how he was tasked with designing blitzes and, and getting pressure on third down, the Ravens, the last couple of years under Mike McDonald, they haven't gotten like a ton of pressure. Like the past uh, two seasons, they've been 25th in 23rd in pressure percentage, but they're converting yep. those pressures into sacks at a crazy rate. Yes. Like they converted 42% of their pressures this year into sacks, whereas the Seahawks who had like a crazy number of sacks this year, they just didn't come mm-hmm. on third downs. They only converted like 31%. It's so cool how he does it. And uh, those of you listening who watched the playoffs this year, um, I thought the broadcasts in both games did a really excellent job of showing exactly how they get that pressure. The reason their conversion rate is so high, sure, there's some variance. That is a stat that sees variance year to year. The reason it stayed consistently high in Baltimore is that when that pressure gets there, so often it is completely unblocked pressure. They only blitzed at the 26th highest rate in the NFL this past year, but they were first in sacks because they do an amazing job of disguising what it is that they're going to do. And the thing that Mike McDonald is really fond of doing is Very last second pre-snap adjustments. So there's this play against Kansas City where they had T. 
two defensive linemen lined up on either side of the center. And they waited until the center put his head down to look back for the uh, signal to snap. And in that half second in between, we did that and snapped the ball. They switched. So the running back saw the switch because his head's up. And so he picked up the new supposedly free rusher, but the center didn't see the switch. And so by the time the ball was snapped, he looked up and blocked nobody. The running back picked up the center's guy and the guy that the running back was going to be picking up just straight free up the middle, easy sack, like straight down Mahomes' throat. So, I mean, that kind of stuff, you know me, man, I've been begging for creativity. That's what I want. Yep. Like if you're going to lose, lose taking the, some big swings. I'm, I'm tired of these 14 play eight minute drives. Like the number one thing that I wanted to see from whatever this new coaching staff looked like, and we don't know who the offensive coordinator is going to be. We don't know what the methodology is going to be there. But one of the reasons the Seahawks have been consistently among the league's lowest in terms of total offensive plays run over the course of the season is that their defense doesn't get off the field. If the Seahawks defense looks anything like the Ravens defense has the last few years, they're going to be getting off the field. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to what you were saying about them leading the league in sacks, well, I think it's it's important to mention that they led the league in sacks, in points allowed, and in turnovers forced. And... That's Most insane. importantly, DVOA. Uh, but the quadruple uh, crown. That's right. That's right. But like they didn't have any superstars on their defensive line, right? Like, who are the best players on the Ravens defense? It's Roquan Smith and Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. And so you had Jadevian Clowney having a career resurgence with nine and a half sacks. You had Kyle Van Noy, was he 32-year-old Kyle Van Noy, yeah. who had nine sacks. And then you had Justin Matabike with 30. Matabike, er, man. With with 13. And uh, 30 sacks, that, that would be pretty impressive. <laughs> Bring um, him over. Bring him over, right. McDonald. He is, a, he is a free agent. He's 26, he's a free agent. But the interesting thing about that with Matabike with, uh, with 13 sacks, he didn't rank in the top 20 of um, pass rush win rate for defensive tackles this season. So, so that's I think just that, goes back to, that goes back to what we were talking about with yes. the creativity and scheming guys open and getting free rushers on the quarterback. And that play that you mentioned that was Justin Matabike with the free run at Patrick Mahomes as uh, Patrick Queen stunted back inside to occupy both the running back and the center. So Creed Humphrey, uh, retire. <laughs> ah, looks like Seattle made the right choice after That's all. That's right. D. Eskridge, <laughs> legacy uh, reclaimed. I don't think D. Eskridge has given up in one sack his entire career. That's I can't argue with those numbers. <laughs> so that's the thing. And, and it does beg the question, of course, like, Seattle's personnel is not Baltimore's personnel, certainly, but this is not a defense devoid of talent. There is a lot of individual talent on this defense right now. They've got some decisions to make with Jordan Brooks. They're two safeties in Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, but you know, not all of those guys are going to be gone. One of those safeties at least will be here. One of those linebackers I think will be here. Uchenna and Wosu's coming back. What he's going to be able to do with a player like Draymond Jones is super exciting because that was a square peg, round hole if I've ever he was seen playing it. on the like a completely different position it all just, season after Chenna went down. It, it it was, and it just didn't feel like Clint Hurt had an answer. Pete Carroll had an answer for that. It was so apparent in the team's overall production. We haven't even mentioned Devin Witherspoon, Reek Woolen. I mean, man, you get that kind of coaching 
on a player like Reek, where you know the talent is there. We saw it. He almost won Defensive Rookie of the Year, then had a huge regression year this year. I mean, sure, some of that was injuries, but he just looked like he was really hesitant all season. There's no room for that in the Baltimore defense. And, man, the fact that he's only 36, that he can bring in his own staff and really create his own thing is super exciting. And equally exciting to me is how his players talk about him. You know, Brady Henderson compiled... You know, we had him on last week, and today he compiled some quotes from the best players on that defense. And, I mean, it was it was amazing. And, and Mike, maybe you can look up that tweet uh, while I'm rambling here because some of those quotes, I think, are really worth repeating here on air. These are not the types of things that players usually say about their coach. They'll say, they'll say some nice things, right? He's a good coach, put me in good position, love him, wish him the best, all that. These guys are like, he is one of the best coaches on the planet is basically what they're all saying. And like saying, whoever hires this guy is getting a great coach. I mean, it was really cool to read. Roquan Smith uh, let out the sentence. I just think he's a wizard, which from your arguably best player on the team, that's that's pretty high praise. Yeah. Kyle Hamilton, McDonald deserves everything that's coming his way. If that's a head job somewhere, then we're all super proud of him. I think everyone has their own journey and own time in this league. And he's a hot name in this league right now. And deservedly. So he's mm. done a great job with us mm. in the past couple of years and he's earned it and it hasn't been given to him. I'm happy for him. If he stays here, that would be dope too. I'm sorry, Kyle, but that is no longer the case. Yeah. He's ours now. Well, tell me, Jackson, what uh, what was your reaction when you found the news out? Honestly, relief, because, you know, you and I have been pretty vocal about having a clear top two options. It was Mike McDonald and Ben Johnson this whole time, right? Going back three weeks when teams started filling their coaching vacancies. And, you know, I was uh, texting with Danny Kelly about this the other day, and we were talking about a real hidden benefit of keeping John Schneider on and not just moving on from him as well as Pete is they've got their pre-draft process, their free agency scouting process already dialed. They can get the head start on that. Most teams that are getting a new head coach, they don't have these systems in place yet. And so the rush to hire Raheem Morris or Dave Canales or a Brian Callahan isn't always necessarily oh we think this is absolutely the best coach out there it's the coach we really want his team keeps winning we can't afford to wait we have to build out these systems here in tennessee and atlanta and new england and all these places to to get everything going seattle didn't need to do that and so they had the luxury of waiting and it reminds me of what the colts did with shane steichen they they were prepared to wait through the super bowl they were they were and and then curveball you know everything we've been hearing for the last month is that ben johnson the detroit lions offensive coordinator is going to washington and he goes and he does his two interviews and then he lets washington and seattle which by this time were the last two teams without a head coach know that he's going back to detroit to remain the offensive coordinator because for me i'm like all right there's a clear top two and there's two teams left so look we either get the best offensive mind in this coaching hiring cycle or the best defensive mind. And I was going to be thrilled with either you remove Ben Johnson 
And all of a sudden, it's like, oh shit! It's like get a little puckered up. Washington might get Mike McDonald, and then we're talking ourselves into Dan Quinn or Mike Vrabel or Mike Kafka or whomever. So relief was the number one feeling that I had. How about you? Well, I'd just like to say also that was a saturation of mics in the hiring pool. That was that was the best uh, coaching contingent available that I've ever seen from that to, from that standpoint. But yeah, man, I mean, how how do you think Commanders fans must be feeling right now? Oh, because my you gosh. had you have the number two overall pick, you have the new ownership, you have like a ton of cap space, and it was just looking like a um, hand in glove fit. With Ben Johnson coming in, you have like the young offensive mind, like the best up and comer available. But Ben Johnson said, nah, I'm not running from the grind. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I think uh, when the when the national guys started floating Mike Kafka as an option, I think people were starting to think like, okay, like, yeah, he was like the quarterback coach in Kansas City. He was offensive coordinator with Daniel Jones breakout year, and he made Tommy DeVito look like an actual quarterback. Like, okay, there's right. something to work with there, but... That's that's not the hot name that everybody's looking for. And again, he, like he was a ha- he was a half chub hire. <laughs> yeah, well said, well said. I mean, look, we can we can heap as much praise on Mike McDonald as we want to, and I think he deserves it. Uh, we don't know how it's going to translate, but no, I think this is about as inspiring a hire as they could have possibly made. Well, and I think that's the most important thing. It's inspiring. This is a fan base crying out for some juice after letting Pete Carroll go. And in a way, it's kind of nice that there was two weeks, almost three weeks in between because we got to process and it wasn't like, Oh, Pete Carroll's out. And here comes the new guy. I think a lot of us, I certainly would have had more conflicting feelings. Like I'm still, there's a part of me that's still grieving the loss of Pete Carroll. And, you know, I, I spoke about it when we had Mina on a couple of weeks ago, like it impacted me knowing that P Carroll wasn't going to be there anymore, even though I felt like it was time and to have that chance to process and then get excited again. And it was so fun watching the AFC and NFC championship games because you're like scouting, right? You're like scouting. One of these guys is going to be, yeah. One of these guys is going to be, you know, uh, Probably the next head coach, and they both had great performances. Obviously, you came out of both those games feeling awesome about it. Yeah, there was nothing about that. I mean, it was a little shaky uh, for Baltimore with Kansas City. You know, their opening scripts are always so amazing, and they went right down and scored twice. You're like, ah, shit. And that was also just like Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey going god. That was crazy. Like, it's just like there's nothing you can do at that point. Yeah, absolutely. After that, I think on their final nine drives, the Chiefs scored three points. Yeah. Like, give me a break, man. Yeah, and you want to he, talk about in-game adjustments and counterpunches. Holy that's smokes. That's Shut him down. Against the champs. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he did it. I mean, they beat McVay. That was a little bit of a higher scoring game. Y'all saw the Christmas game against the 49ers. Five turnovers. Just blowing them apart. I really wanted to see that rematch in the Super Bowl. But... Look, man, he he did it. He shut. He played the Texans twice. Texans scored a lot of points this year. You know, Bobby Slowick was another name in the coaching cycle, the offensive coordinator down in Houston. C.J. Stroud, obviously, with those receivers, had an amazing rookie year. They played the Ravens twice, and they scored 13 points. 
and had a punt return for a touchdown. That's not on the defense. 12 points because it was it was uh, nine points in week one and then 10 in the playoffs and seven of that was a punt return. So, like, I mean, this is a guy that I think his record against Shanahan McVay and what have we always said? Whatever decisions you are making as the Seahawks front office, step one is beating Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan because they have had Seattle's number the last couple of years and it hasn't really been close. And this is a guy who's, I think, like eight and two coordinating against those two teams. Mm-hmm. Really impressive. Yeah. And as we move into the next phase of the offseason, obviously we're going to see how draft strategy is impacted because we have we have like this paradigm and expectation of the strategy that the Seahawks have approached the draft with over the last 14 years. And now Schneider is still there, but you've got a different coach who sees the game in a different way than Pete Carroll and yes. are going to look for a different type of personnel, different body types, different um, shades of player. And so like Jordan Brooks and Leonard Williams, I think are like the top two priorities to yeah. resign. Yeah. You want them both? You want them both back? <laughs> yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like me too. Patrick Queen is a uh, free agent, but you know, there's the, there's the Jordan book, uh, Jordan Brooks versus Patrick Queen discourse. But I don't think that it's uh, any stretch of the imagination to say that Roquan Smith's presence is what really unlocked uh, Patrick Queen over the last year and change. Well, which and to your point, I mean, we've talked about the debate between Patrick Queen and and Jordan Brooks, and when we had Dave Wyman on, you know, former NFL linebacker, we talked about that because that was that was a big thing. A lot of people thought uh, Patrick Queen was the number one middle linebacker in that draft class and Seattle chose to go a different direction. Well, they're not terribly dissimilar as players. And I, you know, Uchenna Nwosu is not Roquan Smith, but he's not totally not Roquan Smith either in terms of being an edge disruptor. Yes. From pure disruption standpoint. So if he can get Jordan Brooks, to 95% of what Patrick Queen was last year, Jordan Brooks is all of a sudden like borderline all pro type of player. Yeah. And if you think back to uh, the Cleveland game, there's one play that we we talked about after they had that come from behind win in the final seconds. There was a, a blitz that Clint Hurt drew up. And for all of the qualms that we've had with Clint Hurt over the last uh, couple seasons, he was getting guys free runs at the quarterback a surprising amount. Yes, he was. And, and Jordan Brooks with the runway, the seas parting, absolutely annihilates PJ Walker. Yep. And you can just see, like in that game between the Ravens and the Chiefs, there was one, there was that series that Kyle Hamilton like single-handedly wrecked, uh, where he had like the deep uh forced incompletion. Um, he had like a stop on a screen pass, I want to say, and then he had a free run at Patrick Mahomes that he just shot out like a torpedo and then he forced a throw away. Like that's the kind of play that you can see Jordan Brooks with his insane closing speed in the um, just right down the pipe coming at the quarterback. Like that, that's the stuff that kind of gets you excited and drooling and thinking about the possibilities. And Devin Witherspoon is the same way. Yes. So defensive players play better when you simplify the game for them. And one of the things like one of the most common refrains you've heard from people who have worked with or played for Mike McDonald use when they talk about him is 
his attention to detail, his hammering down on the fine points of each position because he doesn't want his guys guessing. And the Seahawks, man, for five years, those defenders have been out there guessing what the best offenses in the league are going to do. There was none of that when you watched the Ravens play. And that to me is really exciting. Another interesting aspect here, you mentioned Pete Carroll being gone and how that's going to affect draft strategy. Well, I think there's another aspect to it. You know, my buddy Tyson Twyford is one of my favorite people to talk sports with. And he made a good point today after the hire was announced. He said, we might find out this offseason which guys on this roster were Pete's guys and which guys were John's guys. True. And I think that's going to be really fascinating to see. Yep. The thing, uh, the wrinkle of this whole situation that I'm less of a fan of, and obviously I have no idea how how much this will translate, but there isn't an organization, I guess the Chargers, but they don't need a quarterback, that'll have better intel on uh, on J.J. McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, who knows? Maybe the Seahawks uh, run and gun for a quarterback right off the bat. Because I think that you and I have talked about this. The roster was closer to, you know, 11 and 6, 12 and 5. I think so. Than it was to, like, 7 and 10. Yes. You know? No, it's it's exciting because, you know, obviously we need to see who they bring in as the offensive coordinator. That That's the next thing that we get to be excited about. Totally. Right? And it's because it's a full reset, you don't feel like Pete Carroll's thumb is on the scale anymore. This is going to be a totally different thing. We'll see if it's better. Totally different. Here's what's cool about how the Seattle roster is set up. It kind of reminds me of Detroit a couple of years ago when they brought in Dan Campbell. They had a good, not great quarterback, some elite weapons on the perimeter, and in their secondary, they had good players. And so they just hammered the offensive line and the front seven in the draft and free agency. And that is exactly what Seattle is positioned to do. They don't need to go get wide receiver or running back or quarterback yet. They could. They could. But they don't need to get that quarterback. They don't need to go get their safeties or their corners. They just get to focus on the trenches, which is something Baltimore did. And that Mike McDonald is used to being able to weaponize his young players entering a new system. And he got those guys coached up and ready to dominate from day one. Yeah. And even with all the woes along the offensive line, guys getting hurt, the dysfunction, the third down, uh, you know, inability to convert. I think they had like a bottom third, um, third down conversion percentage in the league. The Seahawks were still a top 10 offense by EPA per play in the league this year. Yes, yes, they were. I mean, that's the thing. Like Seahawks offense was good. The frustration for me is they don't run enough plays on offense. I want to see this team be top 12 in plays run. I want to see what happens when you add 10 to 20% to the opportunity share of DK Metcalf and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Like these are playmakers, you know what I mean? And it is really, really exciting to imagine a new world where they can run at a faster pace and score more points and just put it on teams. I mean, Seattle hasn't really blown teams out in a while. The Ravens blew teams out all the goddamn time. So that that part of it is also really exciting. I just want to front run a couple of games next year. I don't want to be full pucker factor for the second half of 17 games again. 
<laughs> you know, totally. it's putting gray in my beard. Totally. And, you know, a lot of, you know, defensive uh, performance, when you have an offensive juggernaut like the Ravens were this year, mm-hmm. that can, you know, run the ball like they did and possess and convert these opportunities in the red zone and punch it in, like, that's going to help defensive performance. Like, they had a point differential of, like, 200 yep. this season. Uh, yep. But a lot of these numbers, even if they weren't as extreme – were similar in 2022 when you had Tyler Huntley taking the majority of snaps under yep. center and when Lamar was hurt for a lot of the season. So, I mean, this was a two-year sample from a guy that the players clearly love and they've communicated his uh, their belief in his knowledge and understanding and ability to adjust as well as his ability to teach and communicate things in a way that's easy to grasp and doesn't overcomplicate the agenda of the defense. So, oh man, I think... From every angle that you look at this, you got to be pleased with the hire. You got to be excited about the hire. And uh, yeah, man, they didn't. uh, I think the biggest thing, like we said earlier, is they didn't make a hire that made you just kind of, ugh, you know. This felt like a Paul Allen hire. Sure. This felt like Paul Allen going out and getting Mike Holmgren or Pete Carroll. Taking the swing, right? Jody's the usher meme. Watch this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally, like kudos, kudos yeah. for taking the swing. You know, uh, we, <laughs> I'm excited because we've we've got a, a member of the Seahawks beat uh, ready to come and, and join us here. Hopefully, in the next day or two. Of course, that entire squad is just scrambling. You know, all of a sudden they've got a lot of work yeah. to do in terms of covering the hire of Mike McDonald, his press conferences tomorrow, all that stuff. But when we get him in here we're going to go even deeper and i can't wait to hear what he has to say last thing that i want to bring up with you mike offensive coordinator there's still some names out there that i think are pretty interesting is there one guy or maybe two guys that you're really hoping seattle hires not especially i mean i i do like the thought of mike kafka like we said Mm -hmm. like he was integral to a lot of what kc has done and and what new york has done and i think what a lot of people would look at as overachievement mm-hmm. um so like you said somebody somebody that's aggressive I, I don't really have a preference off the top of my head right now i think you and i were both looking at kellen moore as a guy that we would really like yeah. to see come in yeah and then, he went course, to philly he snatched up right away yeah yeah what about you yeah kafka is probably my my top guy and you know i i get it i saw some of this uh pushback on twitter when i posted that and i and i get it what is there to get excited about with the Giants offense? I mean, they were putrid this year. Well, everybody was hurt. That, that was, by many statistical uh, means of measurement, the worst offensive line performance an NFL team has seen in years. And yet, they still were real feisty. But it's what he did in 2022 with no receivers to speak of and a bad offensive line in Daniel Jones. They went out there. And I mean, that was, he worked miracles with the 2022 <laughs> Giants roster on offense. And mm-hmm. there's so much more talent for him to weaponize and utilize in Seattle than he had in New York. I would like to see some KC influence, some Andy Reid influence in this offense. Another guy I really like is Frank Smith, who was the offensive coordinator in Miami. Again, I think McVeigh and Shanahan. LaFleur, they all run very similar offenses. They are all having a ton of success with 
quarterbacks that no one considers elite, no one rational considers elite, but they're good. I would say the 49ers, well, take it back with, with McVay. Stafford is elite. Yeah. But with Brock Purdy and Tua Tagovailoa, I don't see them doing anything that Geno can't do. And that is really, really exciting to me. An interesting one would have been if uh, if Ben Johnson would have been hired in Washington, mm-hmm. if Eric Bieniemy decided that he didn't want to stick around uh-huh. uh, with a head coach that calls plays, and you know, another lateral move to offensive coordinator might be hard to convince him to to take. But you know, it's kind of the same thing with Kafka, like maybe give him an assistant head coach title, kind of like they did to uh, Sean Desai uh, a couple seasons ago, and. You and know, look, a, a million dollar we'll a million dollar pay bump goes a long ways towards <laughs> greasing the skids on a on a lateral move. Also, it sure does. Your move, Vulcan. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I'm super excited. I'm really, really excited about the next show that we have. Hopefully, here it's here in the next day or two. But yeah, we're we're gonna dive a whole lot deeper. But today, it's just about reacting. And and honestly, I think this is the best possible news we could have hoped for. I agree. I agree. I think that Seahawks fans galore should be pretty stoked on this. And uh, yeah, man, like like we've harped on, uh, I'll say it again. The team has a lot of individual talent and they underachieved this year based on the quotient of studs that they had. There's their stud quotient. Um, so Absolutely. hopefully moving forward, they can uh, optimize and deploy those guys in a little more efficient manner and see more team success as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a long time since i've said onward and upward with as much verve and enthusiasm as i get to say it with today that's right that's right man all right y'all that's going to do it for today as always you can find mike and i on social media i am on twitter at at jackson bevins that's j-a-c-s-o-n remember that no k is okay when spelling my name mike is on twitter at at mike barwin and the show itself is at cigar thoughts you can catch full video episodes on our YouTube channel at Cigar Thoughts and find the rest of our socials at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. This episode is brought to you by Westland Distillery in Seattle, which is my favorite local whiskey maker. If you're watching on YouTube, you've seen me enjoying a glass of their new Tub Thumper Cask Exchange, which is smooth as hell and has a unique finish because it was aged in beer barrels and that has given it like a depth that is really, really cool and, and not something that you're going to find in a lot of whiskeys. Westland is an American single malt whiskey distillery in the Soto neighborhood of Seattle. Their tasting room and bar are open to the public, where they serve whiskey flights, cocktails, and small plates. There's a bottle shop on site featuring distillery exclusive releases and more located at 2931 First Avenue, a little over a mile south of Lumen Field. Needless to say, I'm stoked to be working with them, and one of the reasons I love their whiskey so much is that they're excellent pairings with a good cigar. And speaking of, we do have our own special release of cigars that you can purchase at a terrific price as a listener of the show. Until now, you've been able to order your own bundle of 10 for just $169, which is less than half of what this blend sells for in cigars on the open market. But because of the success of the Cigar Thoughts release, we lowered the price to just $149, and we've decided to keep it there. That's right, only $149 for a bundle of 10. As many of you know, we partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to release these official Cigar Thoughts cigars, which you can order directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link on the show page to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf, or... 
Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll send you the details directly. And the cigars, they come with a Bevita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh, whether you have a humidor or not. Of course, you can also listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, again, drop us a five-star rating, leave us a quick review. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know that you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, and Mike, you know I mean it, onwards and upwards, my friends. <laughs>